Welcome to the Become Who You Are podcast, a production of the John Paul II Renewal Center. I'm Jack Riggert, your host. Hey, thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you. We're in a battle, and it's good to be with other people. Today's episode, look, I'm going to challenge you a little bit. This is part of the Become Who You Are workshops that I'm delivering all over the country, mostly in parish settings. And the behind, the uh, purpose behind them is to, is to inspire Educate it and help form the lady, each one of us, so that along with the grace that Jesus told Sister Mary of the Holy Trinity that he would provide for us, that each of us, he said, go out without relaxing, he said, to overcome evil with good. G.K. Chesterton, when asked what's wrong with Christianity, replied, I am. Can't we all say that? If we're lukewarm, if we're not truly embracing the gospel and then living it out, I believe that if G.K. Chesterton was asked the question, what's the solution to this evil in the world, that he would once again reply, I am. See, it's true. There's no one person in the Vatican. There's no one person riding the, 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 the white horse that's going to come save us in the government or anywhere else who can save our marriages, our families, our culture, our country, or the world. The solution is, I am. And for you to stand up and say, I am. But together, huh, full of grace, And this is where Mary's going to come in today, their school of Mary. We are the solution to the evil in the world. We're called to overcome evil with good. So this is workshop number two. It's called At the School of Mary, At the School of Mary, mostly gleaned from writings from John Paul II's encyclicals. But of course, he doesn't make this up. He gets passed on this beauty, beautiful, positive faith. He just has a beautiful way of putting it into words sometimes. So I'm going to be gleaning ideas from him. And again, I'm going to challenge a little bit. Mary's uh, sending this message down along with Christ and this positive faith, this beautiful church it, from generation to generation. And it's so important to remember that from generation to generation, when we don't stand up and say, I am, and pass this power of Jesus Christ and redemption and salvation down, uh, we lose it, right? And evil is allowed to permeate the world. Well, at the School of Mary, she helps us do this. She's the woman of the Eucharist, John Paul called her, and the mother of mercy. Hey, listen, a transcript of this podcast will be made available via my newsletter that will go out on Tuesday, May 17th. And if you haven't signed up for our newsletter, please do so right away. You can get a copy of that. So buckle up and get ready for today's episode. I came back into the Catholic Church on my knees. The death of someone near to me and my own suffering led me at the age of 38 to cry out, God, do you have a plan? Does authentic love even exist? Does truth exist? As I continued to pray for answers, I spent more and more time in the chapel near my home. There in silence and during the Mass, I became aware of a growing ache for an intimacy with Jesus Christ. Over the ensuing months, that ache would grow along with a thirst for him that would not be satisfied. Back on my knees and frustrated by my lack of progress, I turned to our Blessed Mother and asked her, Will you open just a crack in my heart for your son? I would not have to wait long. So go to her. She's our spiritual mother, and her specialty is connecting hearts. Undoubtedly, John Paul II has left the largest patrimony of Marian doctrine and devotion of all the popes. And in a world that has increasingly lost its grip on truth and is left simply being manipulated by the spirit of the age, this school of Mary that John Paul II handed down to, to us, down from 
generation to generation contains within it the gravitational center that can hold us all together. William Butler Yeats, widely recognized and considered one of the greatest poets of the English language, he received the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1923. He had this famous poem called The Second Coming. I'm going to read you just the beginning of it. Turning and turning in this widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart. The center cannot hold. Mere our anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. Wow, what a poem, huh? Surely the world and human beings that inhabit it are sensing today within themselves the need for something more. I hear this all the time. What they are sensing, what we're all sensing, is a need for a savior. They need to be redeemed. Some of them know it, some of them don't, huh? The good news is, though many have turned a blind eye, is that we have one. And we believe that nobody else can bring us, as Mary can, into that divine and human dimension of this mystery of redemption. Because nobody has been brought into that mystery by God himself as our blessed mother, Jesus' mother. Mary has. You know, in many various ways we hear in Scripture, God spoke of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, by, by the son, his word, who became man and was born of the Virgin Mary. This act of redemption marked the high point of the history of man within God's loving plan. God entered the history of humanity. Think about this. God entered our history as a man, and it became an actor in this history, in our history, one of thousands of millions of human beings, but at the same time unique through the incarnation, the, the, the birth of our Savior, you know, Jesus Christ. God gave human life the dimension that he intended us to have from the very beginning, this union and communion uh, with God himself that we were called for before sin. You read this in Genesis. It's so powerful and beautiful. God has granted that dimension definitively in the way that is particular to him alone in keeping with his, his eternal love and mercy and with the full freedom of God always allows us our freedom. And he has granted it also with the bounty that enables us in considering the original sin that we have, the whole history of the sins of humanity coming down through the ages, and considering all the ears of the human intellect, the human will, the human heart, to repeat with amazement the words of the sacred liturgy. Oh, happy fault, all those sins, all those faults, all those errors. Oh, happy fault, which granted us so great a Redeemer. Wow. Well, no one has experienced to the same degree as the mother of the crucified one, the mystery of the cross. No one has received into his or her heart as much as Mary did. That mystery, that truly divine dimension of the redemption affected on Calvary by the means of the death of the Son, together with the sacrifice of her own maternal heart, together with her definitive fiat. What's her fiat? Her yes at the Annunciation. She said yes, and in her yes, it was so beautiful and profound that she was literally impregnated with 
Jesus with the Son of God. Mary then is the one who has the deepest knowledge of the mystery of God's mercy. And then we can open up our hearts kneeling with Mary and just as her fiat, she was literally impregnated with God, we can say yes and be filled, huh? Our, our, we are like a tabernacle filled with the Eucharist. We're a temple of the Holy Spirit filled with God. Mary is the one who has the deepest knowledge of this mystery of God's mercy. She knows its price. She knows how great it is. In this sense, we call her the mother of mercy. We call her our lady of mercy or mother of divine mercy. For through her hidden at the same time incomparable sharing in the messianic mission of her son, she was called in a special way to bring close to people that love which Jesus has come to reveal, the love that finds its most concrete expression when we look at the poor like Mother Teresa does, those deprived of their own freedom, the blind, the oppressed, the sinners that Jesus always spoke to and went out to. And we hear him in the words of the prophet Isaiah going out, first at the synagogue in, in, in Nazareth, when Jesus read the scroll of Isaiah, and he said, in, you know, and, and I'm just paraphrasing, but in, in, in this reading today, that, that prophetic voice is being actualized. Huh? And then in response to the question of the messengers of John the Baptist, where John who said, ask him, is he the Messiah? And he says to John, and again, I'm just paraphrasing, but you know, tell John, remind John of what I'm doing in the world, the people I'm healing. The blind see, the deaf hear. It was precisely this merciful love which is manifested above all in contact with moral and physical evil that the heart of of her, who was the mother of the crucified and risen one, shared in singularly and exceptionally that mother shared in. Mary was there, right? When, when Jesus was there in contact with the moral and the physical evil that he came to take on, the sin and the evil that he came to take on, death which he came to take on. So in Mary and through Mary, this love continues to be revealed in the history of the church and of humanity. Mary never rests in her active collaboration in the work of redemption as well as her mediatory role in bringing others to experience its effects. She seeks to share this great work of mercy, that love which Christ came to reveal from generation to generation. These words are included in her Magnificat, which, we, which she proclaimed, remember, during the visitation in Luke's Gospel? Here is proclaimed the answer in that Magnificat to the anarchy loosed upon the world in that poem by Yeats. And here it is. Here's the Magnificat. This is found in the beginning of Luke. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to the city of Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the child leaped in her womb. And as Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the voice of your greeting came to my ears, the child in my womb left for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, and this is her Magnificat, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those with low degree. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his posterity forever. Ah, from generation to generation, she says. In the mystery of the redemption, that is to say, Jesus is Christ, Jesus Christ's saving work. The church not only shares in the gospel of her master through the fidelity of the word and service of truth, but she also shares through a submission filled with hope and love and the power of his redeeming action expressed and enshrined by him in a sacramental form, especially in the Eucharist. See, the Eucharist is the center and summit of the whole of sacramental life through which each Christian receives the saving power of the redemption, beginning with the mystery of baptism. Mary, again, I'm going backwards, said, you know, from generation to generation, this is what happened. This is what's wrong with our culture, our families, our marriages, our country. We stopped passing down the story. See, Jesus didn't stop passing down the story of salvation, the the power and the grace that's involved in that, in our salvation. It's coming down to us, this positive faith through generation, through generation. Each generation has to say, yes, this is what's happening on the altar. This is what's happening with the Eucharist. If we wish to discover in all its richness and profound relationship between the church and the Eucharist, we cannot neglect Mary. Mary is the mother and model of the church. Mary can guide us towards this most holy sacrament because she herself has a profound relationship with it. John Paul II's Eucharistic reflection leads him to ask this. Listen to this. What must Mary have felt When she heard the apostles repeat the words from the Last Supper, this is after Jesus died, huh? Remember at the Last Supper? What did Jesus say there? And John Paul saying, what what must Mary have felt when she heard these words after Jesus died? What did she hear at the Last Supper? What did the apostles repeat at the Last Supper? This is my body, which is given up for you. He answers his own question, John Paul does, by suggesting that for Mary, receiving the Eucharist, must have meant welcoming Jesus once more into her womb and reliving what she experienced at the foot of the cross. And we can, we can kneel with her so that we too can be filled with divine life and love. While the account of the institution of the Eucharist on the night of Holy Thursday doesn't make any mention of Mary, we know from Scripture that she was among the apostles who prayed in the upper room with one accord. In the first community which gathered after the ascension in expectation of Pentecost. Certainly, Mary must have been present at the Eucharistic banquet celebrations of the first generations of Christians who were devoted to the breaking of bread. If the Eucharist is a mystery of faith which so greatly transcends our understanding as to call for sheer abandonment to the Word of God, then there can be no one like Mary to act as our support and guide in acquiring this disposition. In repeating what Jesus did at the Last Supper in obedience to his command, do this in memory of me, we also accept Mary's invitation to obey him without hesitation. She said, do whatever he tells you. Remember this in Scripture? This is from the Gospel of John at the marriage of Cana. 
Listen to this, just this short part of the story. There was a marriage at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus also was invited to the marriage with his disciples. When the wine failed, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, O woman, what have you to do with me? My hour has not yet come. But his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. You see, they had run out of wine at the wedding, which was often used in the Old Testament to symbolize God's divine life and love. They had run out of wine. The so-called modern age, it seems, has run out of wine. With the same maternal concern which she showed at the wedding feast of Cana, Mary seems to say to us, do not waver, trust in the words of my son. If he was able to change water into wine, he can also turn bread and wine into his body and blood. And through this mystery, bestow on believers the living memorial of his Passover, thus becoming the bread of life. Can you imagine? We become one with this. See, Mary knew this. She experienced it. Mary intimately knew of what she spoke when she said, do whatever he tells you. Long before the Last Supper and the institution of the Eucharist, Mary had said, what? Yes to God and had begun to live her Eucharistic faith. See, in her fiat, when the angel Gabriel came to her and she said, yes, she offered her virginal womb for the incarnation of God's word of her son, God's son. The Eucharist, then, while commemorating the passion and resurrection, is also in continuity with the incarnation. Think about this. At the Annunciation, Mary conceived the Son of God in the physical reality of his body and blood, thus anticipating within herself what to some degree happens sacramentally in every believer who receives under the signs of bread and wine the Lord's body and blood. When we go to receive the Eucharist, our fiat, our yes to him, when Mary says, do whatever he tells you, will we go receive the Eucharist? And we are, in a sense, impregnated with Jesus Christ. We're like a tabernacle, huh? The temple of the Holy Spirit. As a result, there's a profound analogy between the fiat, which Mary said in reply to the angel, and the amen, which every believer says when receiving the body of the Lord. Mary was asked to believe that the one whom she conceived through the Holy Spirit was the Son of God. We read that in Luke's Gospel. Well, in continuity with the Virgin's faith and the Eucharistic mystery, we are asked to believe that the same Jesus Christ, Son of God, Son of Mary, becomes present in his full humanity and divinity, body, blood, soul, and divinity under the signs of bread and wine. In Luke's Gospel, we hear, Blessed is she who believed. Our blessed mother bore in her womb the word Jesus, made flesh and became in some way a tabernacle. In her womb, she carried Jesus, the son of God, and also her son. Her role, as any mother would attest, would not be a passive one. No woman has a baby and it takes a passive role in that baby, right? And it's not the enraptured gaze of Mary as she contemplated the face of the newborn Christ and cradled him in her arms, that unparalleled model of love which should inspire us every time we receive the Eucharistic communion. And like Mary, we share with her and our Lord in the sacramental dimension of the Eucharist. When she brought the child Jesus to the temple in Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, we hear in Luke chapter 2, She heard the aged Simeon announce that the child would be a sign of contradiction and that a sword would also pierce her heart. The tragedy of her son's crucifixion was thus foretold. 
What must Mary have felt as, as she heard the mouth of Peter, James, John, and the other the, uh, apostles, the words spoken at the Last Supper? This is my body, which is given for you, the body given up for us and made present under the sacramental signs was the same body which she had received in her womb. Do this in remembrance of me. In the memorial of Calvary, all that Christ accomplished by his passion and death is present in the Eucharist. Consequently, all that Christ did with regard to his mother for our sake is also present. What did he do? Who was at the foot of the cross when Jesus died? It was Blessed Mother and the disciple John and some of the other women. And Jesus looked down to her, and he didn't call her mother. He called her woman. For now she would become the model of the church. And we all join in this church, this body of Christ, as Christ, the the bridegroom, pours himself out to us. And we say yes to him. But what else happened? This was the beginning of the church right here. And what happened? To her, he gave the beloved disciple John. Behold your son. She looks at me. She looks at you. She looks at all of us this way. And to each of us, Jesus also says, just like he said to to John, behold your mother. And we look at our blessed mother, and this is our spiritual mother, and also a model for the church. Experiencing the memorial of Christ's death in the Eucharist also means continually receiving this gift. It means accepting like John, the one who was given to us anew as our mother. It also means taking on a commitment to be conformed to Christ, putting ourselves at the school of Mary, allowing her to accompany us. Mary is present with the church and as the mother of the church at each of our celebrations of the Eucharist. If the church and the Eucharist are inseparably united, the same ought to be said of Mary and the Eucharist. This is one reason why, since ancient times, the memorial of Mary has always been part of the Eucharistic celebrations of the churches of the East and of the West. Go to the school of Mary. Take up the rosary. Say the rosary every day. It will bring incredible graces into your life. We hear, Hail Mary, full of grace, and she will share that grace with you. Glory be to God. Hey, don't forget to rate the podcast. Don't forget to sign up for the newsletter. Financially support us if you can. Hey, God bless you. Thanks for being with us. Keep me in your prayers. Bye-bye, everyone. 